been talking for a number of weeks, months now actually, about prevailing prayer. And our key scripture is in, uh, in uh, James chapter 5. We're not going to dwell there very long because I want to go into a particular aspect of this. It talks about uh, that, that for those of you who are sick to call for the elders of the church and they will anoint them with oil and pray for them. And verse 15 says, And the prayer of faith will save the sick. The Lord will raise them up. And if they've committed sins, they will be forgiven. So that's spiritually being made whole and physically being made whole. That is in the New Testament. Verse 16 says, Confess your trespasses or faults to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. And then this is the part of the verse that we've been basing this on. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails or accomplishes much. That's an astounding statement. God is saying to us, He's raising our expectations of prayer. He wants to raise in our minds our expectations of every time we talk to God. He wants to encourage us and challenge us to expect that every time we talk to God, He not only is listening, but our prayers affect things and change things. And so much of the Christian church, especially I think in the United States, and I know as I shared earlier what, got, what opened me up to begin to realize that I needed to study this as well as most of the rest of us, is that I had come to the place where I was praying but I didn't have a lot of confidence they were going to be answered. I won't ask for a show of hands. But one of the signs that you're not expecting much is you don't ask much. I'll say that again. One of the signs that you're not expecting much is you don't ask much. I don't mean you're not saying a lot, but you're not asking God for much. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight. Go with me to, uh, to, uh, over to Mark chapter 11. Excuse me, Mark chapter 10. Well, you can go to Mark 11, and then we'll go to Mark 10. We've been digressing for the last few, probably a month or so, on some, actually some foundational subject. We've looked at um, different types of prayer because it's important for understanding prayer that you realize that not all prayer is the same. They don't all operate by the same principles. The prayer of faith operates by very different principles than the prayer of submission. Prayer of submission is based entirely on God's will and therefore the essence of the prayer of submission is, Lord, not my will be done in this situation, but your will be done. Not my will be done with my life, but your will be done. So it's very important to pray that prayer with the attitude of God your will be done. But the prayer of faith is based on promises God's already made to us and therefore that will's already been settled. And if you don't understand that when you're praying a prayer of faith, asking God to do something in your life that He's promised in His Word to do, if you don't understand that and so common in so many places as they'll end the prayer, your, you know, your will be done. Well, you've just undercut the essence of faith because let's look in Mark chapter 11. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus gives the core of it, which is, Jesus answered and said to them, he's talking about believing God for things. In this case, it was the cursing of a fig tree. And Jesus answered and said in verse 22, have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, believes that what he says will be done, he shall have whatsoever he says. That's an astounding statement. We're talking about a God that can do anything and changing our expectations. God's saying whatever that mountain is, and he's talking about a physical mountain here, but whatever that mountain is in your life, Whatever that bondage is, whatever that thing's in your way, whatever that thing is, that if God's not put it there, then He says, speak to it. Speak to it. But here's the condition. Here's the principle. But does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things He says will be done, he will have whatever He said. So the first principle we've learned about answering prayer is you've got to believe that what you're asking is done. In fact, he goes on in verse 24 and makes it clear. He says, Therefore I say unto you, whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and then you will have them. So the order of the prayer of faith is you ask God for something, and when you ask Him, you believe He's already given it. And then later on, you'll have it. Now, most of the rest of life, natural life, is the other way around. You ask for something, but you don't, you don't believe it's yours until after you shall have it, after you have it. 
But the order in the, in the gospel, in, in, the, in, the, in God's kingdom, is different. You must believe you have received it before it will manifest in your, in your physical life. We looked over at Romans 4, around verse 18, where it says that, that in hope against hope, Abraham believed in order that he might become according to what was promised. So Abraham believed so that he could become. So we don't believe based on what's happened. We believe in order to have it happen when it's something God's promised. And so verse 24 is telling us this principle that at the time you pray, you must believe that you have already received it. So faith is now. It's not well, because I can tell when I listen to somebody whether they're really in faith or not, because when they're not really in faith, they're talking about something in the future. Well, yes, I know God's going to. Then you're not in faith yet. You're in hope. Hope is future. Hope is I believe God can do this and I believe God will do this. That's future. But when I say, I know it's done, it's settled. I'm resting in it. Faith rests. I know it's done. Now, that's a sign I'm in faith. James chapter 1, we looked over there. James talks about asking for wisdom, but then he expands it and talks about asking it for anything. He said, if you ask in wisdom, nothing doubting. Nothing doubting. So the first principle of it, see, because what God's telling us in, in, um, in James 5 that we just read, it's many other places. It's in, in Matthew chapter 7. He says, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone that asks, receives. That's a revolutionary statement. Now either that's true or it's not. But what we have so often done is we read that or we hear it preached and we say, yeah, it says that, but of course I haven't had everything happen that I've asked for. And therefore I compare my experience with what God says and I redefine what God says to measure up to my experience. And God's Word cannot be redefined because the moment you redefine one verse, you've undercut every verse. Because this book is either true or it's not true because it's full of bold statements. It's like they want to say about Jesus. They want to say, well, you know, he wasn't the son of God, he wasn't the Messiah, but he was a good man, he was a prophet. Jesus didn't give you that option. Jesus said he was the son of God. He said God, uh, Jehovah, was his father. So there's only two logical conclusions for that, really three. One is he's crazy. In which case, he's not a good man and a prophet. A second alternative is he lied, in which case he's definitely not a good man and a prophet. The only other alternative is he is who he says he is. So he didn't give us the option of redefining who he is, but that's what religions have done. They've taken who Jesus said he was, and they can't accept that because then they're going to have to bring their lives into conformity with who he says he is. Who he is confronts people. Jesus said, it wasn't what I planned to get into tonight, but this is where we are. Jesus said, I didn't come. I came with a sword. And that means I'm, who I am is going to create divisions in families, and some of you know what that's like. It's going to create divisions in, 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 in relationships. It's going to tra- create divisions in your life, in the kinds of things you can do and can't do. It's going to cut and create divisions just by who he is. Because He is the Son of the living God and He is Lord, which means He is the ultimate absolute authority. And the world doesn't like that. Because when someone else is your authority, they have the right to tell you what to do and not do. And we don't like that. When someone else is Lord, they have a right to tell you what's right and wrong. We don't like that. We want to hear suggestions and get opinions, take polls, but we want to make the final decision. In other words, we want to be Lord. And so when he says who he is, that's very confrontational, but it's also very freeing because the prophet said that he is the rock, the rock of either offense in which people are going to be offended at him or he's going to be the rock that's going to break things open and set you free. But he's the same rock. It all depends on 
how you receive him or you don't receive him. But he doesn't give you the option of what everybody else wants to do is redefine him so he's no longer a rock of offense, so he's no longer a sword that cuts, so he's something we can use for our purposes and make him who we want me to be. And the Bible has a term for that. It's called idolatry. It's called idolatry, which the Bible says is as the sin of witchcraft. Okay? That was popular. All right. And so, so uh, and I lost my train of thought here, but we'll get it back on track. All right. So, this word is either true or it's not true. And if one part of it's not true, then how do I know which parts are true and which parts aren't true? Because if these promises, ask and you'll receive, if, they're really, if they really didn't mean what he said there, then how do I know John 3.16 is true? Because now I become the judge of what's true in this Bible and what's not true. So this word is now subject to me instead of me being subject to this word. And so, obviously, I'm telling you, this word is the truth. That means, ask and you'll receive has to be the truth. Now, I went through all of that for this reason. Because if I'm not experiencing what it says, then there are only two possible places where there's a problem. Either the problem's with the word, and we've just settled that issue, then there's only one other place I can look, and it's me. Somewhere, something's wrong. Somewhere, and this is what we're looking at, somewhere there's a reason why this isn't getting answered. And we've talked about perseverance, and there's things you have to persevere for, but there comes a point where you persevere and it just isn't happening. And so, especially when it comes to the prayer of faith. So we've looked at one principle a while ago, and then we've taken some other journeys. We've gone back and really laid some foundation. And the first principle comes out of there, which is the first requirement, the first principle of answered prayer is you've got to believe God heard you. And you've got to believe not only to hear you, but He's answered you. So, you know, I've gotten out of this habit a while, for a while now, but I've started doing it again. I'll just get up in the morning, I'll say, God, you always answer my prayers. You always hear me. And you always answer my prayers. You, you know, just kind of build your powers up. Because that's what the Word of God says. 1 John 5, 14, 15 says, If you ask anything that's in accordance with His will, He hears you. And if He hears you, you know you already have the request that you've made known. So the first principle we've seen is you've got to believe that God hears you and God answers you. We're going to look now at a second principle, which is related to this. Now go to Mark chapter 10. Very familiar story. Verse 46. Now they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, a great multitude, and a great multitude, the multitude is going with him, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus sat by the road begging, which undoubtedly he had done every day. When he heard that Jesus of Na- it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So he's, he hears the man from Nazareth who's been opening blind eyes. He's been unstopping deaf ears. He's been straightening out. But he, what he hear, really has heard is he's opened blind eyes. He doesn't need his legs straightened. He doesn't need his ears open. He's obviously heard all right, but he does need his eyes open. And he hears that he's coming by. There's a great message I heard Oral Roberts do years ago, is that he would have passed him by. But he has to cry out. Jesus is on the road, and this man's only chance ever, possibly, to get his sight is now. He can't hesitate. It's now. Because he doesn't have the option of going and get a cornea transplant. He doesn't have the option of taking certain vitamins. He doesn't have the option. In fact, in his day and age, he didn't have all the electronic options we have, you know, to help you get around if you can't see. He didn't have any of that stuff. They didn't have any technology. They didn't have any. If you were blind, you groped around in the dark, or you had to rely on somebody to help you. And the only way you could make a living was to beg. 
And he's there by the side of the road. He hears this commotion. Undoubtedly, he asks somebody, who is it? And they say, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And he's heard about him. Faith comes by hearing. He's heard about him. And his hope springs up. His hope increases. But as we learned about faith, you can't just believe. You've now got to act on what you believe. So he cries out, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. He's, all he knows to do is to cry out for help. Aren't you glad God hears? Amen. Cry out for help. But this is his only chance. I mean, the only one that can ever give him sight is coming down the road. He can't see him. He can feel maybe the ground roaming a little bit. He can hear all the commotion. But he can't see him. He doesn't know exactly where he's coming from. And so he has to cry out for help. Sometimes, you know, when we're in a desperate situation, we don't know where it's coming from. We don't know where he is. We All we know is the situation we're in. There's turmoil around us. But all we know we can do is cry out, Help! Jesus, help! Aren't you glad he hears that cry? Aren't you glad that doesn't have to be a formula as you go through and you have to do a certain thing and get on your knees a certain way and have done certain, paid certain alms? He just cried out, help. He doesn't even know. We're going to see he wasn't even quite right, but he cried out, help. He was real. See, this is where faith gets real. We get religious and say, Lord God, I need your help. Please, oh Lord God, and we give him all our reasons and explanations. When he hears, help! That's real. I've had things I prayed for for years, and nothing happened. I got so, one day I got so frustrated, I went to my bedroom, I locked my door, and I just said, I'm not coming out here until I've had it out with you. And he said, God, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've said this, I've done all these things. Not only that, I moved halfway across the country and I'm in a faith school right now and I still don't have an answer to this. I'm mad. And God says, well, you're finally in faith. What? He says, because you're upset because you don't have the answer because you expect you should have had it. Oh. He didn't get mad at me. That's where this man is. I don't know what he's tried, but there's not much he could have tried. And he cries out. All he knows to cry out is call him the son of David, because that's a term out of the Old Testament. Have mercy on me. He's not saying it just right. And we're going to see that. But Jesus helps him. Oh, this is good. He's just crying out of his heart. The word supplication, I studied that word. I was going to get into that, but... I, but I, uh, on, a, on a particular teaching. But the word supplication, you run across that, it says pr- prayer and supplication. Supplication has a little different meaning. It, it has a sense of urgency crying out of an immediate need. To supplicate sounds like this long, you know, religious term. But what it means is what this man's doing. It's crying out, not necessarily saying some formal prayer. It's crying out out of some kind of urgent need. His heart. If you believe in the heart, we've talked about that before. You can have all kinds of doubt in your head, but it's what you believe in your heart. This man's crying out out of his heart. He's, Jesus is moved by people's hearts. Faith comes out of the heart because it's a spiritual force. Ideas come out of the head. Doctrines come out of the head. Teachings come out of the head. But faith comes out of the heart. And faith releases a spiritual force that comes out of the heart of man to the heart of God. Verse 8, then many warned him to be quiet. These are the religious people. Say, no, 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 this is, this is, this is, you don't know who you're talking to. This is, this is the master. This is the rabboni. This is the teacher. This is the Lord. You, you don't, don't, you know, don't, you're not being respectful of him. Don't bother him. Many warned him to be quiet. And if you're not careful, the devil will use people to tell you to be quiet. They'll use your relatives saying you're fanatic, you're crazy, you're trying to believe too much who you are. And I'm going to say this again. I've said it many times, but I, want to say, I need to hear it tonight. I've done a search in my Bible, and I cannot find any place, listen carefully, where Jesus criticizes anybody for believing too much. Nowhere. 
And Hebrews says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It says he is the exact representation of the nature of God. He is the outshining of God's character and nature. He is his image. So if Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If Jesus never criticized anybody for believing too much, then the Father won't. The only people Jesus ever rebuked were his own disciples for believing too little. So don't ever worry about trying to believe for too much. The Spirit of God's there. God's there saying, yeah, go for it. Go for it, Don. Go for it, Jerry. Go for it. Yeah, but what if I fail? So what? Get up and go for it again. The devil's always warning you. Notice it says warning them to be quiet. Why? Because it threatens him. He doesn't want you to find out that God will hear you and answer your prayers. He doesn't want you to find out that with God there's nothing impossible. He wants to define for you what you believe, your enemy. This is good stuff. I need to hear this. They warned him, verse 48, to be quiet. Look at this. But he cried out all the more. He didn't listen to them because they weren't going to help him. (laughs) They weren't going to set him free. They weren't going to heal him. They weren't trying to do anything for him. They were just trying to make things are done just decently and in order and properly and don't bother the master. But notice this didn't bother him. See, religion will tell you what bothers God. The Bible will tell you what bothers God. Unbelief bothers God. They warned him, be quiet, be respectful, you're out of place. This is the teacher, the master coming. He's important. You're just some blind beggar. Be quiet. But how does Jesus respond to this? Well, first of all, he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and stood still. Now, it's interesting. Imagine in this scene, because we're reading it out of a story, but imagine the scene. It says there's a multitude. Can you imagine that they were being quiet and just kind of walking along solemnly? They're all trying to talk to him. I bet you people are trying to get things from him. There may have been people trying to ask him to heal them. Would you come there? Would you do this? I don't know what they're doing, but I can't imagine it was quiet because it was a multitude and he heard them coming and he couldn't see them. With all this commotion going on around him, The only one Jesus heard was the man that cried out out of his need and out of desperation. He didn't cry out religiously. He didn't cry out what the world would say was respectfully. He just cried out out of his need like a child crying out to his parent when he's afraid or hungry or in need. By the way, I heard a, an, an Arab Christian one time talking about the word uh, Abba. Abba Father says that in several places. It says in Galatians 4, it says it in uh, Romans chapter 8, that, that because we're the children of God, we cry out Abba Father. The word Abba is an emotional word that is, describes the cry of a baby in a crib in a night that's hungry or scared or or in pain crying out to its mother or father. Now, those of you who've been parents know what that's like, especially when you bring that child home the first time. We didn't sleep the first night. Is he breathing? What was that noise? Well, you're a parent and all of your attention is tuned to that child, I heard him cry. I know him cry. I remember, I remember the, the, the pediatrician we had, was, was a world-renowned pediatrician, was trying to teach us, you know, about learning how to, to train our children, even as a baby. He said, you can train, you know, you train a baby when they first come home, they can still learn from you. And, and he said, uh, here's, my, here's my advice to you. When your child cries at night, 
don't go in. What do you mean, don't go in? He said, don't go in. Now, you, you'll be able to tell if there's a real need. I'm, I'm, you know, we've never been parents. Before. He said, are you kidding me? He says, no, trust me, you'll be able to tell. He says, but, but if it's not a real need, he says, what you're teaching that child is every time they cry, you'll come get them. They're training you. You're not training them. And I remember, I can still know that. I said, but what if they need us? He said, look, I've been a pediatrician for, I don't know, 30-some years. And again, he was, some of you old enough, you'd know his books. He was world-renowned. He said, in all my years of practice, I've never yet had a child die from crying. But I think I've almost lost some parents. <laughs> Point's this. I'm telling you that story to bring some of you back to what that was like. When you hear your baby cry, it's not an intellectual choice. Well, you know what? I think maybe I ought to go check. There's, in fact, as parents, you have to resist that temptation to run in and check them. Are they okay? It's hard for us to believe God's like that. But that's what that word Abba means. It's the cry of a child of need, desperation, just like this man. It's a cry to the father, to their, your father, that your father hears. Doesn't Jesus say, don't you know your father always knows what you need? Why? Because he's always listening. He's always watching. And here's a great example. With all the people doing things and asking things around Jesus, the one thing he hears is the man that's crying out of desperation. And he stops. Kind of like the woman with the issue of blood, with all these people touching him, because the disciples say, what do you mean who touched you? All these people are thronging you. They're touching you. But the one he felt was the one that touched him in faith because he felt virtue go out of him. He felt power go out of him. All the other touches didn't draw anything out of him. I've got to go on. Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man and saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise up, he's calling you. Now their whole attitude's changed. Because notice the poorest, the most beggarly, the one with the greatest need is the one he hears. Is the one he hears. So they bring him to him. He's calling you and throwing aside his garment. If you don't understand a basic biblical principle, you won't get the full meaning of this. In order to be a beggar by the side of the road, he had to have, in essence, a license to do it. Now, nowadays, you get fishing license and things, you may put them on your back. Or put, but the license he had was the particular type of cloak he wore. So when he stands up and takes off his cloak and leaves it behind, remember, he's still blind. He can't go back and find that coat now. He's now taken a step of faith. He has crossed out. He's like Peter that's gotten out of the boat and is on the water. There's no one going back there. And they bring him to Jesus. Throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said to him, Now here's what I wanted to get to. The man's cried out twice. Son of David, have mercy on me. It's obvious he's blind because he was wearing the cloak, first of all. And when they bring him to him, they're having to lead him. And look what Jesus says. I, mean, I thought Jesus knew everything. I thought he had the gift of discernment. I thought he was God who knows things. I mean, what's he saying? Look what he says here. What do you want me to do for you? Uh, Jesus, uh, duh. I mean, come on. Wake up, I know, you know, a lot of things going around, but pay attention here. That's not what's going on. Jesus is always very purposeful in what he does and what he says. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabboni, or teacher, that I may receive my sight. Here's the point. 
Bartimaeus cried out out of his need. He didn't know how to express it. All he needed, knew, is he had a moment's opportunity to get his need met. He didn't know how to say things or, or, or what. But, and Jesus responded to that and says, bring him here. And now Jesus, I didn't see this when I studied, this is so good. Jesus is now going to teach him, help him, ask him what he needs to ask him. What did he ask him when he cried out for? for? What did he ask him for? Mercy. Mercy means all kinds of things. From forgiveness to favor to just, you know, patience. It is a huge range of things that Jesus has available, and he cried out for that. And what Jesus is saying is, all right, you've got my attention. Now, what do you specifically want? And the blind, the, and Bartimaeus says, oh, here's what I'm asking for specifically. I want to receive my sight. And here's the second principle of, of the, why prayers are so often not answered. We're not specific when we ask. We're not specific when we ask. We say, well, he's God. He knows everything. Jesus knew. I mean, everybody else knew what he was asking. This didn't take a lot of spiritual discernment. People knew what he was asking for. So this, Jesus didn't ask him the question, what do you want me to do for you, so that Jesus could have a clear understanding he did it because he must have needed this man to be specific. Just as there was a time when some blind men came to him and they asked, others came to him and they asked him, Lord, have mercy on him. And he said, he said, do you believe that I can do this? And they said, well, yes, Lord. Why did he ask them that question? Because he was eliciting from them some confession of faith. He was trying to help them to ask to do this in a way so that they could receive what he wanted to give them already. Do you realize God wants to work with you in your prayer life? God wants to help teach you. If Look, this is off a little bit. See, again, it's not a bunch of rules and regulations that if you don't get this just right, but there are some principles, and we went over that idea when we started the discussion of principles. There's principles by which things work. Gravity is a principle, the reason you're able to sit in that chair and not all kind of float around the room, so I don't know where to look tonight, is because of gravity. And gravity operates by certain principles that you've just learned to operate in supernaturally. But if you've got some child that doesn't understand that, they'll just try to jump off of something not realizing you don't do that because gravity will pull you down unless you can fly or you're lighter than air. And some of us may have tried that when we were younger. So there's certain principles that nature operates by. They're not a bunch of, you know, of, of requirements. They're just principles. And the kingdom of God operates by principles. And we spend time going over this, why that principle operates that way. So I'm not going to take the time to go back to that. But, but here's, we're talking about a principle. So the this, this second principle is that in order for God to be able to answer your prayers, you have to be specific with Him about what you're asking talk about aspects of that. We may not get through all this tonight. Why? Well, first of all, I mean, imagine, just look at your, the way you normally operate in your life. It's amazing how what we learn just by looking at how we operate. When you go to the store, let's suppose you go to a department store, and you go in there, and some of you, ladies especially, but some of us men go into we don't like to admit this, but we have our own store we go into, which is tool stores or electronic stores. And we just go in, you just go in there to look. Right? Right, men? They just go in there to look. Don't, don't look around. Just, I know you, they go in to look. But you see, for a woman, they're not going to get something. It's an experience, generally. So she doesn't go in there to be specific. She goes in there generally because what she's looking for is something other than that particular dress. Now, she may, there may be exceptions to that, but when men go to a store, by and large, they know ahead of time what they're going for, they find out where it is, they get it, pay for it, and get out. They're very specific. 
right? I love it because my wife will say, I'm saying, I'm going to the store, would you like me to get Yeah, I need some whatever it is, some cream. Well, what size? Just cream. But I know, see, I can't just, I can't, oh, this is a good example. I can't go to the dairy department and say, all right, cream. Because there's four ounces, eight ounces, there's full fat, low fat, non-fat, there's different varieties of it, different cultures. I mean, I've been sent for things sometimes and I go, and the one size she asked me for when I, they didn't have. Now I got to think and the pressure's really on. Thank God for cell phones. <laughs> the point is this, I'm set on a general message, method, mission, but I can't just buy a general item. I've got to be specific. Because we somehow think that, you know, God's this great vending machine in the sky and we just throw it up to him and he sorts it out. And all the, oh, this is good too. All the responsibility is his. God, I don't know what I need. I don't know what, but here, And now what a lot of people do is they they throw this whole thing up and whatever lands, that must be God's will. Mm. So I prayed and whatever happens, that must be God's will. You can't, that's not what the scriptures teach us. Because the verses I quoted to you out of Matthew 7 goes on to say, he said, if you ask your father, if a son asks his father for a loaf of bread, his father's not going to give him a, 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 a stone. If a son asks his father for a fish, he's not going to give him a serpent. In other words, he's not going to, oh yeah, I'll give him something, but it's not what you asked for. God doesn't play games with us. And this is Jesus. If you go back, this is Jesus talking about his father in a context of talking about prayer. And he said, if you ask him for something, he's not going to give you something else. And he says, look, if you being evil parents, not necessarily evil by comparison to one another, but compared to God, if you know how to give good gifts to your children and not trick them, how much more will your heavenly father give what's good to you who ask, give you what you've asked? This is Jesus telling us something about his father's nature and character that Jesus knew firsthand. He's letting us in on a revelation of his father so that we can pray with confidence. So when what we do is we take whatever, the, I don't know what the need is, we just kind of throw it up. God, you sort it out and give me what it is that you know is right for me. And whatever lands, that must be what's God. That takes all the pressure off of us and puts it on God. Pressure what? Several things. Pressure to find out what is the best thing. Pressure to find out what I really want. We're going to talk about that in a minute. One of the reasons, well, why wouldn't we do that? Well, first of all, it takes work sometimes to find out what you really want. What do you mean? I know what I want. Well, do you? Do you? And again, I'll talk about that in a, in a couple of minutes. But one of the main reasons I believe that we're so general in our prayers <laughs> is we want to give God a target that runs from here all the way over to here so that when, when some area on that target gets hit, God answered my prayers. If we give God a big enough target, big enough, then anything answers it. That's why some people answer their prayers with, if it be your will. Because what you've just done is given God a target that is so big that anything's going to answer that. So if I get what I asked for, God answered my prayer. If I don't get what I asked for, that means God decided it wasn't His will. And He answered my prayer. And you've all heard the expression somewhere, God always answers prayer. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, and sometimes it's maybe. That's giving Him a target that's as big as the universe. So it doesn't need any faith to believe he's going to hit it. Uh, 
Suppose I was going to tell you, I've learned, I've learned how to be an archer with arrows. Okay, no, but don't worry, I haven't. All right? And I'll prove it to you, because I always hit my target. And my target is anywhere on the earth. I did it! I hit my target! And that's what we do with our prayers. We put, con- we, we, we put conditions in them and qualifiers in them and we rethink them and we reform them. And as we do it, we're just making it a bigger target, easier for God to hit. Why do we do that? Because we really don't have confidence that he's going to do what he says. And remember the first principle, you must believe that you receive what you prayed when you ask. So if I'm adjusting that to give it a bigger target, that means I don't believe that I've received it when I've asked. And this is how these two interrelate with each other because if I'm expanding the target, you understand what I'm saying by that? If I'm making this request so general, so broad, God, here's my prayer, my passionate prayer, world peace. Bless everybody! How can God answer that? Especially when there's some people that don't want to be blessed. And But I feel good. I pray, but I really don't feel good because the only part of praying where it really feels good is when you get the answer because you know you've made a connection with Him because you have the answer manifested. So the first reason why we do this, and this is very subtle, and we can just, you know, sometimes listen to your own words when you're praying, because you do pray, don't you? Listen to your own words when you pray. Just listen to them. And as if you were overhearing somebody else and asking yourself, how could I answer that prayer? I mean, I believe God would probably a lot of times looks at us and say, I don't know how to do that. How could, you know, I don't, what do you want? That's what Jesus is saying here. What do you want? I know you asked for mercy. That got my attention. But what is it you want? Another reason is unless we're specific, how do you know God answered it? I remember when I first got saved and we began to read about faith and um, I decided I'm going to try this out. I had a headache. So I said, in the name of Jesus, I believe you healed me. And I believe that this headache's gone. And about five minutes later, the headache went away. And I was good, but I never knew whether the headache went away on its own or went away, whether it would have gone away whether I prayed or not. Because it was, you know, there, was, there was nothing wrong with asking for that. But when you get to things where there's only one answer and it's God answered or it doesn't, that builds your faith like nothing else. So unless we're specific, how can we tell whether God answered it or not? So often we're general to protect ourselves from disappointment or for unbelief. Let's go to James chapter 4. Another reason, and these all kind of interrelate. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Verse 1. Don't they come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust, you desire, you want something, and you don't have it. You murder and you covet and you cannot obtain. See, we say, well, I'm not a murderer. Yeah, but what about coveting? And you cannot obtain it. You fight in war, and you do not have it because you do not ask. We'll talk about that word ask in a minute. And you ask, and you don't receive it because you ask amiss or wrong, that you may spend it on your pleasures. So the motive for asking has some effect here. What I'm really asking for may not be obvious. I'll give you an example. I've had people come into counseling and, and I'm listening for why they're really here. Because almost always, and I'm not thinking of anybody out there this morning, tonight, almost always what they tell me they're there for isn't what they're really there for. You, very often what people are looking for is they want relief from the pressure they're under. 
Pastor, I've got this real problem you know, going on. I don't need, it may be financial. It may be you know, in, in a relationship, in marriage. It may be with kids. I've got this problem. You know, and because they're telling me what the problem is. But I'm trying to hear through what they're telling me to what's really in their heart. What are they really looking for here? And I, if you promise not to tell anybody, I'm going to give you some of my secrets. I start asking questions that probe. And when I start probing, I can tell the areas they don't want to get probed. Because if they're really looking for help, they don't care what I probe. It's like going to the doctor and say, Lord, I've got, or doctor, I've got this problem. You know, and the doctor says, well, take your shirt off. I don't want to examine you. No, I don't want to do that. But I want you to fix the problem. What, I'm look, what they're looking for is I want the pain to go away, but I don't, don't want to do what it takes for the pain to go away. And when it comes to spiritual things, often what's causing the pain, often what's causing the discomfort is another underlying spiritual reason that we don't want looked at or we don't want to look at ourselves. But what I want is relief from the pressure. I don't want to be free. So I'm looking to find out when people talk to me, do you want to be free or do you just want to be the pressure to get away off of you? Because it'll come back again. And often people don't realize they haven't sorted that out themselves. So James is saying here, when you pray, you're, you're not, one of the reasons is you're not getting an answer is you're praying amiss. Your heart's looking for the wrong thing. It's not that God doesn't want us to have pleasure because he goes on and talks about you adulterers and adulteresses. What he's talking about here is not in being able to enjoy your life. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying using that, what is an adulterer? An adulterer is somebody that draws their pleasure and their needs from someone they're not in covenant with when they've made a covenant commitment to only draw it from this one woman or this one man. And what God's saying later, he says, you adulterers and adulterers, what he's saying is, you're drawing from the world, you're drawing from the things the world's offering, you're drawing from them that what you committed by covenant to draw only from me. And that's spiritual adultery. It's not just walking away from God, it's drawing your needs, first of all, from some other source that then you give yourself to as you do that. You begin to give your heart to. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 6, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So what you begin to seek after, what you begin to desire, what you begin to look to for your source of pleasure, for your comfort as your ultimate source, that's where your heart will begin to go to. Not right away, but eventually. And so what he's talking about here as he's talking about when your heart, when your motives are off, he's talking about giving your motives, looking for pleasure to, saw, to give you comfort, looking for the things of this world to give you comfort. And you're asking in your prayers for these things to come from a source other than from God or from some way other than God, which is right in God's eyes. Everybody follow me so far? Okay. So our motives can be tricky things. Our motives can be tricky things. So one of the things we need to determine is we need to find out what it is we really want. And the beginning of that is to realize you may be the last person that knows. Because again, our motives can be very tricky. We may, be wanting, we, we may not want to look at certain things in our life. And if I really, really admit that this is something I want, then that's going to open the door to looking at why do I want that. So you need, to, you need to be willing to spend time with the Lord. We pray too quickly about situations and find out, Lord, what is that I, what is that I really want here? I'll give you an example. Years ago, we moved back here from Oklahoma, and we were not able to sell our house in Oklahoma for quite a while. So all the money we had, really, capital, was tied up in that house. And so we're back here. We've got a family of four and we actually had to live with another family for a while, and then we found a cottage we lived in for a while, and it was just, nothing was permanent. And so we started looking for houses uh, to buy, and I was trying to make plans of how I was going to do this. And we found this house with just what I wanted. It was This is the kind of house I wanted. It was a great location. And, uh, you know, I, I, and we we're still fairly young Christians, and I remember we went through the house with my wife, and we looked at it, and I said, wow, this is just neat. And I told the realtor, he said, you know, give me a little while. And so I decided to go out the next day and just pray. And I said, God... I really like that house for my family. It's everything we need. I really, I really like that. I know the price is high, God, but you know you can do things. Come on, God. I really like that house. And the Lord began to ask me a question. He said, um, "You really want that?" I said, "Yes, I do." He said, "Well, let me tell you what it would mean for you to get it." 
and he began to go through what, because it was paying more than I could afford, but I figure somehow we can stretch it. You know, God will make up the difference somehow. He says, that means you're not going to be able to do this, these kinds of things. You can't take your family out to eat for a while. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. And you're going to be living here. That means it's going to cost more for your driving and things like that. He just began to lay out other things that I also wanted as well as his house. And God said, I'll, I'll provide the way for you to get the house. But is that really what you want in light of all these other things that it's going to mean? And I said, no, I don't want it yet. And then down the road, God provided what we needed. At another time when things were fin- very tight financially and I was going through what some of you have been through and I've got to decide, Lord, I've tithed ever since I've heard about tithing. But right now, it would be really helpful if instead of tithing on the gross, I tithed on the net be really helpful, God. And then, you know, as soon as I can, I'll get back to that. As if it was some legalistic thing. And I remember right where I was on the highway, the Lord spoke to me, says, if that's what you want to do, you can. And he could have told me anything else. He could have told me no. He could have told me yes. He could have yelled at me, but it was the cruelest thing he could have done because he put it back in my lap. And what I found is, Lord, I don't want to stop tithing on the gross. He brought it back, but see, he was exposing a will that I had in my heart I didn't know was there. On both sides, on one side, I wanted something that really ultimately would have cost me more than I wanted. It would have cost me other things that I wanted. In this case, with the house, with the tithing, it meant he was showing me there was a desire in my heart I didn't realize was there until he took the covers away and said, yes, go ahead, if that's what you want. And I realized, no, I don't want to do that. And that's when our finances began to turn around. Because, you see, I, didn't, I was praying things not knowing what the desire in my heart was. I was looking at other things. And so I'm just sharing those stories with you because don't be so quick to jump and say, yeah, I know what I want. Well, in some of these things, do we? Do we? Do we? I'm going to have to close here. We're going to pick up here next week. because We're going to learn that there's a difference between wishing something and wanting something. And some of the things that you think that you've asked for, you haven't asked for. Because God did say, ask and you'll receive. Sometimes it's because we ask, but we don't really believe He's going to do it. Sometimes we ask, but... We're really off in our asking. We're not clear or specific in what we're asking. And sometimes we say the word ask, but we really mean something else. And if you want to know what that is, you've got to come back next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Lord, this is such a critical subject that we learn how to prevail with you in prayer. We learn how to be like Elijah was, Lord. Be men and women, children, Lord, especially children, who know how to prevail with you in prayer. The disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray. We come to you tonight, Lord, and we say, teach us how to pray. Effective, fervent prayers that accomplish much. In Jesus' name.